0: This is Wise Guy Talks. Talks. Speaking truth to power, exposing lies, power. fighting to restore American values. For American values. Release the house. just love the way that that uh, feeds in. Robert, my main man, he came up with the music on that, and uh, he does guest appearances on here occasionally. Today we're going to be recording episode 68. I appreciate everybody listening up. We've got uh, Ronell Smith in here today. We're going to be recording 68, which is going to be called Bridging the Gap. We'll be right back. All right, that's it. Uh Rennell, How are you doing today, man?
1: I feel good. Well, other than my allergies acting up a little bit, I'm I feel good.
0: Yeah. Let's let's go back and talk about it. you've got a blog uh front and center, and it's called ID ed, and it means informed dissent. Tell us a little bit about that. Where did that come from?
1: I've always thought of myself as having a dissenting opinion. Um, you know, heterodox is kind of the the way in which I think or think about things and um I think of myself as a fairly informed person, or at least I try to be. And, um, you know, my MO has always been I want to share things with people that um, I don't want to talk to them about how to think, but I do want them to know the things that are important to uh, us in our lives, certainly in this community. So I just wanted to to create a a blog slash newsletter to share ideas, thoughts, opinions with, you know, 32,000 residents in South Lake.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. You know, when I saw Ed, I don't know. do you know what I thought of immediately when I yep. when I saw it? What did I think of psychology? For- I did think of psychology and yeah. the, and the three uh, aspects aspects of the human psyche are ego, super ego, and id. Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, Forbidden Planet is my favorite uh, science fiction show of all time. And of course, you know Doctor Morbius had created this this super ego character called the id, and he went around killing everybody. And I don't know, did you have a secondary meaning in
1: there when you were... Getting- I did. Well, I was a biopsych major, so that makes sense. So it did play into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. yeah. Everything's like psychological to me. That's yeah. part of my problem in life. <laughs> I overthink everything.
0: So let's let's jump right into it. Um, there, you, you do have a, a newsletter called Informed Dissent, and it's out by email subscription. If people want to find out, and they want to be a recipient of it, you just go to Ronell Smith and there's two L's in Ronell dot uh, sub com. That's Ronell with two L Smith dot uh, Anything else on that? How, how does a guy get on Substack? By the way,
1: you just go to that link and then you'll, you'll be able to, to subscribe and it'll ask you, um, do you want to see it free or pay? Well, there is no pay option, but it, it's, it typically says do you want to read it first and just put your email address in, and it'll start sending it to you. And yeah. I don't spam you. I don't do more. Usually it's Tuesday, Thursday, um, but sometimes just once a week. I want to get get a, a cadence. Uh, what it what is that?
0: And it's funny you should say that because my producer and I were talking about uh, a cadence um, just last night. And we do think that that cadence is important if you're going to be doing podcasting. We've kind of, I mean, with the limitations we have because we all have real jobs I think what we're going to start doing is releasing either on every other Friday and uh, Friday or Wednesday. We're going to pick one of those days and do it twice a month. Essentially, it's either going to be on Friday or Wednesday, and we just have to look at the data to to see you know what uh, looks like it's going to work better.
1: Uh, you may not want to choose Friday. I mean, Friday is the worst day. That's why they always talk about when a company has bad news they drop it on. Friday, but typically Tuesday, Thursday, are when you have the most readers, viewers, and search traffic. All so right. if you if you care about any of those, which I know you do,
0: are you are you gonna be get, charging me a consulting fee for that?
1: No, okay. I, it's worth just what you paid me for right. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
0: Um, so a couple of the highlights. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. You recently had uh, a conversation with an NBC executive, who I think. Probably is one of the hidden hands behind all the podcast that uh, Mike Kicks and Bond and Tony Hilton are pushing out on South Lake. Tell me a little bit about Mariana Henninger.
1: So, I back in March and April, I started getting lots of hits from um, writers of Slate, uh, not um, maybe uh, New Republic, uh, Atlantic. Uh, the what do you call the Constitutional? Journal. Uh, no, the Atlantic. The, the is it the Atlantic? Yeah, the Atlantic. And they just said they wanted to have a conversation with me they didn't say about what but i knew given what was going on like it was the campaign season uh hannah and kim were running for office and um you know i think individually and collectively as a council we just you know said we're not we're not going to be a party to that and so when they would reach out to me typically it would be through my council address because that's public or my council phone number but i often don't uh, answer my phone because i get hundreds of calls a day whether for work or spam and so I checked my email and I had one from a Mariana Hanninger from NBC and I emailed her back in a little while And I disrespectfully declined. And then later that day, I checked my phone and I had a message and it was from her. And I said, you know what? She, it was my personal phone, though. And I said, you know what? If this is going to keep going on, I literally got out from my desk, went into the bedroom, called her. And as soon as she answered, I just said, off the record, off the record right now. I know how this works. And I just wanted to inform her. I, I had some ideas in my head, which I talked about in the newsletter or the, the one I uh, dropped today, which again is the worst day to drop it. But I just wanted to get it out of my head. And uh, we ended up talking 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. And I just wanted to fill her in on things she didn't know um, because I had heard, you know, I had heard before she was doing a, a documentary and then, you know, she fought out said, well, hey, I'm doing a documentary. Yeah.
0: I find it coincidental that they seem to be doing the preponderance of this big dump right in the middle of uh, a local election cycle, a local election cycle, a population 30,000, as you've alluded to. Is this ironic?
1: No, I mean, remember this. <clears throat> Every news story, uh, certainly national news, mentions a handful of things that makes it ripe. We're majority white, although we're not. Overwhelmingly white anymore, we're conservative. Um, We voted overwhelmingly for Trump, and to 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 major media and to a lot of people, that's uh, tantamount to racist. So it's easy for them to build a narrative that this is a racist community. So look at the first two podcasts, and I knew this was going to happen. In the first two podcasts, uh, they mentioned we voted for Trump, we're conservative, we're Republican, and the percentage of, of the white population. What they didn't talk about is how that white population is decreasing over time, not because whites are moving out, but because more and more minorities are moving in. Yeah,
0: but do you think that there's any, I'm gonna use the word conspiracy, and it's way too powerful a word to put things in perspective, but do you think there is some element of conspiring amongst some of the locals here that seem to have a direct connection to, to some of the NBC folks and do you think that when they call you up they're, they're writing from a neutral uh, bias point or do you think that you know, they have a bias and it's going to come out um, in, in their reporting?
1: Well it's clear that they're getting the information from one side as I told Ms. Henninger there is no story if both sides won't talk and, and she said that she couldn't find um, people on you know, the conservative side to talk to. Her. So to that point she's obviously talking to someone it's easy to easy to assume correctly. I think what side of the political aisle they're on, and I've said from the beginning, this is political. You know, there's there's people who love to say this isn't political. It is. the The reality is, there is a much easier way to fashion solutions than to burn the community down. And I've told people that uh, who were beholden to this plan for for most of the last year, or more than the last year, that nobody wants kids to be mistreated, nobody wants bullying. But the way in which you're going about it veritably ensures you will never reach the goal that you desire.
0: Why do you think it is that there are literally literally zero, maybe one, I think Juan and Nathan, um, offered up an interview. but Beyond that, there seems to be no conservatives that are willing to interview with these guys. Is that just sheer
1: coincidence? Well, I, you know, I'll tell you what my answer was. When she said it was uh, video, I, I said, um, I can write something and you can copy it. And she said, no, it has to be video. And I said, it's too easy for you to shape the narrative if it's on video. And I said, i give you an example. You ask me, is South Lake racist, just as an example. And I say, No. And then you don't get the no, you just get everything I say after that. Say I say, in a community of thirty thousand, you're going to have bad actors, right? Well, p- people who watch that interview, they don't know that I just said. I don't. I know that South Lake's not racist, and I don't know any racists here. But they hear me saying, you know, there's there's bad actors and likely bad actors in the community. And I said, you know, it it lacks nuance, and I, I think the story lacks substance when I, when I know pretty much better than anybody, you know, why you're here and, and, and what the goal is. And I just walked down the line with her of, of why this was a bad plan, why people are reacting the way that they are to it. And I also shared this, which I share in the document. I don't think there's anybody, I feel safe in saying not even Ledbetter has talked to more people individually about this than I have. And overwhelmingly, no one wants this plan. So I was like, well, what, where's the divide? And I told Mariana this, I said, that we're not polarized if we're not split. Overwhelmingly, we don't want it. It's just a matter of a you know, there's a small group who are fighting for something that technically doesn't exist. The board rescinded it. Even the the assistant superintendent that they brought in, the interim superintendent that uh, they brought in, he understood that uh, this this in my conversation with him that as far as the the DDC that w- did work on this this thing that they worked on. Uh, likely will never come to fruition, as he told me privately. The best they can hope for is a couple of elements are pulled out that the, the entirety of the community finds palatable and then um, used.
0: Yeah. So I, I did produce a piece is called the long pause, and in the long pause, it was basically a, a snipped out uh, portion of where Dr. Ledbetter was being interviewed by Antonio Hilton who is the niece that no one should forget of Soledad O'Brien, talk about, uh, what is it, diversity, inclusion. uh,
1: There's another word for that, but anyway.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Anyhow, I'm not going to belabor that point. But in that, I was under the impression that Dr. Ledbetter had been given pretty much a list of the questions, or at least they they had an understanding of what the questions were going to be. And in the middle of it, she asked him, "Do you think um, Southlake is a racist community?" and and he paused, and uh, I can't read his mind. I don't know why he paused, but I can only assume, after the fact, post facto, that that he was shocked that she answered that or she asked that question.
1: Well, correctly, she didn't ask him that question. She asked him an even more difficult question: Are there racists in Southlake? What I would have. The way I would have answered, and I think the only way to answer that is, is to point your finger back at her and, and say, if you're insinuating that Southlake's a racist community, let me tell you, Southlake's not a racist community. There's there's lots of great people here doing great things. This is amazing kids, fantastic fantastic businesses. We support one another. You go down that line of how great a community we are. And really what she's trying to do, so you can't answer that. If, if, he had, if she had said it sounds like racist, that's a yes or no question. But, but as a journalist, you, you're trained.
0: Yeah, I, I, I hate to interrupt. You're on a great train of thought. But, but isn't it kind of along the lines of the logical extrapolation of the following question? If I ask you, Ronell, how long have you been beating your wife?
1: Yes. But you're supposed... So remember, he, and I told him this, he's a politician now, basically. Doesn't matter what somebody ask him, He answers the question he wants to answer, right? We see that all the time during presidential debates or senatorial debates. What he's supposed to do is how, okay, if you're going to ask me, you didn't, but how I would have answered it, I would have said this. What I can tell you is that Southlake must be one of the most inhospitable communities for racists because you have successful minorities. Some of the wealthiest people here are minorities, some some of the uh, most... Academically, academically successful kids are minorities. You know, some of the most prominent businesses are owned by minorities. Racist people don't want to live in a community where minorities are some of the most successful. That's a fact. So what I would have said, the example I use is, if somebody asked me, is R- Reneau, are there fire ants in your yard? I would emphatically say, let me tell you, I have created the most inhospitable environment on the planet for fire ants. So if there there is a variant, if you find one, you get on your knees and you find one, I can tell you he's not only not welcome, right, but he's isolated and he won't be there long. So
0: it does beg the obvious question. And I would say you're probably as plugged into the black community as anybody else. Um, My question with you, are you seeing a mass exodus of blacks, in in particular influential blacks like football players, baseball players? Are you seeing any kind of an an exodus from our community, from these influential uh, folks, uh, particularly in the black community? And I'll even throw it out to the Asian community as well.
1: No, I mean, when you look at it, you know, people love to point to blacks as the only percentage of minorities that are decreasing. I think the last census showed there were one 6, 7. We've always been around 2%. The problem is there's a lot of blacks here uh, who've remained after their kids are in school uh, or, out, or out of school. They're going to college or they're, they're uh, successful adults. And so there's, there hasn't been an influx of blacks to make up that number. But I can tell you there's more and more African-American blacks who move in um, each year. I, I see them. I know them. I get to meet them. It's just, we're a much smaller percentage, but remember, we're a much smaller percentage. I mean, there's only 40 million blacks in the U.S. And what I always tell people is this, 100% of the black people who wanna live in South Lake and who desire to, li- who desire to live in South Lake, who can't afford to live here, live here. It's like skiing, people go, you don't go skiing and say, well, ski well, ski, ski resorts must be racist because there's very few black people here, right? You just say, you know what? People have their own interests, their own goals, their own desires. And um, for a lot of people, certainly for a lot of minorities, they they may have, they move here because they have family and friends, and they may want to live in a a different community. But I can tell you, and I'm always reminded of this because I've never really shared it, but I've never met a person of color who didn't live here, I don't don't care if they're black, whatever, who had a low opinion of South. They may have questions about it. And so, to me, it's not a race thing. Like when I talk to my, we, we, my, my wife has more black friends here than I. She knows more people here than I do. Um, certainly not affiliated with politics. And I can tell you, every one of them loves this community. And I think, and we'll maybe talk about this later. NBC gave us a gift. This, this will, this will go down being one of the best things that's ever happened for into this community. As weird as that sounds, I'm, I, I'm, I'm adamant that I'm that that's fact. Do, you,
0: do you? Th- do you, you're a city councilman, you've been a city councilman for what now? For Over two you, years. Yeah. Have you seen any barriers? Have you seen any limitations? Have you seen any secret societies? Have you seen anything at all that holds up a, a secret some thumb society sign that says, no blacks welcome to the South? Like, have you ever seen anything at all close to approaching that?
1: No. Because I don't think it exists. I mean, if it is, I, I mean, I would have never been elected council. You know, I always make this point. If, if this was a racist town, the easiest thing for people to do is to vote for my opponent. Here's why. She was a former uh, chair in Tarrant County, precinct chair. Uh, she was very conservative. And she looked in many ways better than me on paper. I mean, she was longer, uh, long-standing resident. She was far uh, wider known. And so they voted for a black guy. On top of that, they voted for a Muslim twice. That didn't happen in a, in a quote-unquote racist community.
0: Yeah, but Mariana and her gang um, of misfits—I'm sorry—that's what I call <laughs> them—and um, and I'm a little concerned, on, on, honestly, with Mike Hicksonbaugh because he keeps coming back to the well here on South Lake. And it looks a little, little psychotic, neurotic. I don't know. Throw in one of those. I, I'm just a little concerned. at How often he keeps coming back uh, to the to the well here in uh, South Lake.
1: Well, the numbers are in his favor. So I was doing some checking some data last week of podcast. Um, internationally, we were that South Lake podcast was the number seventh or number eighth. Most watched podcast, most listened to podcast in the U.S. It was the it was number two most listened to. So if, so if you're a network exec, not not a uh, production exec, if you're a network exec, those numbers look really good to you, and it says do more of it. And let's face it, the quote unquote liberal or left leaning media, the mainstream media, will want to beat up on this community is ripe for getting beat up on. Meaning overwhelmingly conservative, womanly white, and we voted for Trump. That's all they need.
0: So, uh, but, but back to these guys, um, do, you, do you think it's, they could care less about the story that they're telling. What they're seeing is that it equates to clicks, and clicks it, it turns into revenue. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was test scores. What's what's happened? Uh, do we see a bifurcation in test scores between races or whatever in our community?
1: No. What, what when you look at what's happening, say, in California or in New York right now with the the public schools and the testing or some of the colleges and dropping the test. And one of the things is typically at play is the test score gap in, in, in colleges and Um, Even K through 12 are looking at ways to increase the number of minorities, specifically blacks in Latin, because nationally blacks and Latins do less well than whites and Asians on things like um, SAT, SAT, but but also test uh, in school tests. Right. So so things like GPA. So Southlake's an anomaly in that white and black, whether it's AP or just regular scholastic tests, or neck and neck, there, there is no difference appreciable difference. The only thing that happens, what's happened nationally is, you know, Asians do better than everybody. So as I told Mariana, that is a success story, that you have an affluent community. There's only 154 black kids. Um, last I checked, it's about 150 kids, K through 12 in, in in South Lake. But those kids do as well or better than their white classmates. That's, that's a success story. Well, there's not many school districts where that's going to hold up.
0: It baffles me why she never mentioned, is it an intentional omission on their part?
1: Well, I mean that, that didn't play to their narrative. I mean, if you want to sell the narrative that, um, minorities here are disenfranchised, minorities here aren't being successful. I mean, you know, I made this point and I made this point in the article. If you look at the average income of blacks here, it's multiples of the average income of, of South. I think it's like two twenty something like that. Most blacks here is income is over a half million dollars. I, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find an example of that outside of somewhere like L.A. or Manhattan, right, uh, in a community of 30,000? Come on. And she didn't, She, you know, that meant nothing to her. I, I, I mentioned the test score gap. That is a huge, huge issue because throughout the nation, they're trying to fix that. They're trying to say, how can we get blacks and Latins to do as well as whites, you know, much less Asian? It's like, just, just get us on par with with whites,
0: so you made a you made an interesting observation You said that here in South Lake, blacks do as well as whites, and Latins do as well as whites. Um, but you see nowhere in the reporting from NBC that, that points to that and says, look at the freaking success that Southlake, Texas is having. Look, this is actually where it works. But instead, what they want to do is break it down. But I want to go back and ask you, why do you think it is in other uh, black communities and lesser affluent uh, communities that they, they do so horribly on some of these standardized testings?
1: Whoo, you put me on the spot there. I, but, you know, uh, in a little admission, this is something I've been studying since probably 1995, 96. You know, there's a lot of data on this about it could be stereotype threat. Typically, uh, even in more affluent areas, blacks typically do uh, less, typically don't do as well uh, because they realize this is a test of, of uh, IQ and which brings in the whole genetic thing and, and they're intimidated by it. Another is um, in less affluent communities, uh, blacks are said to have not have access to the testing and all that. In this community, the beautiful thing about it is, blacks have access to everything everybody else has, right? When your parents are as wealthy, they're as educated, they're as successful as everybody you live around, that is a beautiful thing. So, what's happening here is the kids here are more successful, or as successful, and sometimes more successful because of the parents prioritizing the same things as as whites and Asians and um, people in other communities. So
0: you keep bringing up a point, uh, but you kind of graze over it. And (laughs) I know it's called parents and 75 percent in the general population of blacks in America are in single family homes in Southlake. I don't know what the number is, but I bet it's pretty darn close to what the Caucasian uh, married rate is. Does is does that play a factor in it?
1: Yeah, well I glossed over that for a reason because I'm look I was thinking more apples to apples. I wasn't thinking about the whole seventy seven percent of, you know, black kids born to to unwed mothers. Um yeah, that I mean that that's the sweet spot in South Lake, if you're honest. And I told our previous superintendent that that South Lake, South Lake, not because of teachers, not because of the administration, it's because of the parents.
0: Believe it or not, we're 25 minutes in, and I'm trying to keep these shows 25, so we're going to kind of go into a rapid fire uh, just to ask you some quick questions. Do we have an N-word problem, it sounds like? No. Um, Is there a true divide um, over the infamous uh, CCap plan? No. Okay. (laughs) You're keeping it sweet and short and sweet. I like that. Um, How did we get here as a city? Leadership who provided that leadership.
1: Uh, the, or the like thereof it was the, the previous administration. There's no no two ways about it. I mean, anybody I talked to and this isn't a runel thing. Let's be clear about that. I I like many of the the members of the previous administration, but the reality is this isn't the kids' fault, meaning Sork. This isn't the Pax's fault. This was caused by a board vote on August 3rd when they sh- she should have handed them the document and let the, let them peruse it alongside the community and then we workshop it and then come up with the fashionable plan. But even before that, and I remind people of this continually, whether you believe 600 or 500 or 300 kids, if one kid was abused and and there was, it was not effectively remedied, that's a failure. And, and what I tell people is, you know, you, the word, the, the two words thrown around all the time are systemic racism, right? And what I tell people is that was a systemic failure, meaning these kids, many of them, I mean, again, if it was only two, there was not a successful resolution of their issue. And what I say is point your finger at the people in charge at that point.
0: I have a specific question about that. The, the number of aggrieved have gone from a handful to 100 to 300 and then literally overnight to 500. Do you um, why were those charges not vetted in a in a proper um, investigative process that was sponsored by the school? Because that's still out there, and one of the candidates that's running for school board now, she's still claiming that 500 number. Is there any veracity to
1: that point at all? I, I can't speak to that. I mean, you know, people are going to say uh, if there's one kid not telling the truth or what's very likely is that some of them may not meet the level of in a, a grievance that uh, would deserve punishment, what I go back to and what I want to focus on is why weren't those, weren't those things addressed?
0: Yeah. All right. So we're going to move down towards uh, the conclusion of this and let's talk about the podcast media coverage and given uh, what you know specifically, what you've shared with them and written about, what do you make of it?
1: Hey, it's not going to stop. People keep asking me, uh, is it going to stop? But I said, it, it doesn't have to, what, what's happening in this community is people are looking around and saying, "This was an obvious attack," and the the community depicted in those video and in that podcast, it's not reflective of their community. They're looking at their neighbors, they're looking at at the community overall, and they're saying, "We're better than that," but we're not going to allow a uh, network, tell a, a major network news network to define us. And I think pe- people are, um, you know, fighting back in the right way.
0: What do you think is going to be the impact of all this negative spotlighting on South Lake?
1: People are going to come together. It, it's happening. I, I see it every day. I hear it every day. People text me and email me. Uh, whatever the issues are in the school, that's not the entirety of the community. You have to remember that we're fixing the leadership void. These school board elections are going to fix that. I think Ledbetter is the person to fix that. Um We just have to talk to one another and realize that we may be divided politically. And I make this point in a previous blog, a previous newsletter. We're never going to agree politically. But this is a great community comprised of great people willing to step up and do the right things, even when it's the hard things.
0: Um, difficult question I'm going to ask you here, but there's a big election coming up. I'm not going to ask you to say who you're supporting, but one of the k- candidates kind of represents the continuation of the Michelle Moore crowd, and the, and the other one represents the continuation of the Cam and Hannah crowd that's on the school board. How do you, Which one? Which one of those? Uh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but which one of those? do you think is going to benefit the city? Which side? I'll just call it the left and the right side for obvious reasons.
1: The Cam and Hannah side. Because Cam and Hannah, whether you like them or not, they're going to bring about, they're already bringing about transparency. They're already bringing about accountability, fiscal restraint. Those are the things that that we all want. But in addition to that, and I've talked to Cam and Hannah uh, continually about this, whatever the issues are that that need fixing, they're going to fix them.
0: Well, we're, uh, we're at the 29, 40 minute mark with zero edits. This is such a rarity. I and mean, you've been a treat to have uh, on. What do you think is the next chapter in all this? I mean, when we look back a year from now, are we going to look back at this and say, you know, we weathered the, the brill storm of the mass media coming in, trying to attack and changing politics? And our, I mean, where are we going to be a year from now?
1: You know, I think it's like a marriage when you go through a rough patch and you both agree to work together, you come back stronger. That's what's happening in this community. That's what will continue to happen. you got to remember, this is a great community uh, of, of very, quote-unquote, like-minded people. They, they prioritize community. They prioritize religious freedom. They prioritize education. Um, those are the types of, of people who are not going to be divided.
0: And, and you did pick out the name, by the way, uh, called Bridging the Gap. Just take a quick minute. You you were telling me about uh, one of the church experiences you have, just very briefly talking about where the preacher actually talked about Bridging the Gap, where the idea for this show came
1: from. Well, I'm a member of Gateway, and in 2016, I went to the Gateway Men's Summit, and one of the pe- preachers, he's out of Chicago. I think his name, is, he goes by Pastor Choco. And he mentioned uh, in the community he grew up in and, and continues to uh, minister in, he's bridges the gap between the poor, the violent, and the religious. And I've always thought of myself as someone who can bridge the gap, meaning bring people together from uh, different sides who may have disparate interests. I'm sorry, may have the same interests, but may have a disparate frame of reference or uh, a disparate way of doing things. And so that's a a person who bridges the gap.
0: Renell Smith, you have been an absolute Treat to talk to and have come over today. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to come talk to Wise Guy Talks and our audience. We're gonna bump out here on episode sixty-eight, Bridging the Gap with Rennell Smith. Everybody have a great day.